0: This is the Truth Frequency Radio Network. We
1: are TFR. Truth Frequency Radio.
0: If you shut up the truth and bury it under the ground, it will only grow and gather to itself such explosive force that on the day it bursts out, it will blow up everything in its way welcome friends i'm your host sen garcia this is secrets build here on truth frequency radio i appreciate all of you taking the time to join us this evening i have as special guest both authors s douglas woodward and w kent smith uh kent are you there brother
1: yes i'm here my hair is what's up
0: all right hey i appreciate you joining us and doug are you there brother
2: i am indeed
0: All right. Excellent. Um, And both of these guys are prolific writers, and um, I'm going to let each share their website contact information and just talk about, um, you know, briefly your latest book projects and where people can go to find your work. Kent, we'll start with you, and then we'll go with Doug. Right on,
1: right on. Oh, I was thinking age before beauty, but I'll I'll go ahead and take the... the, 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 the.
2: Alphabetical, alphabetical. There, There you go. All right.
1: Okay, so W. Kent Smith, uh, my website is called uh, the Lost Stories Channel. It's where you can find uh, all my writings uh, and also articles uh, for all the books that I've written. Um, it's the uh, let's see, www.loststorieschannel.com and that's where you'll find the, uh, the primary book that we'll be discussing tonight called uh, Tales of Forever, the Unfolding Drama of God's Hidden Hand in History, which uh, focuses in on the 5,500-year prophecy that is pretty much uh, been, as Doug would su- suggest, suppressed since the Reformation times. But it actually existed for, what, 15 centuries, uh, untouched and untainted. And uh, most people are completely ignorant of this fact because we've um, basically sort of a backlash against the uh, uh, the Catholic uh, book that was basically the, the Masoretic uh, text took over at that point. So, uh, but like I say, it's... it's um, that's Tales of Forever, and um, that's my website.
2: Doug? Cool, cool. Um, yeah, so um, you can find me a couple of different ways. Um, the official title of my website is faith happens with a hyphen faith hyphen happens.com. You can also find me by searching on doomsday Doug. <laughs> so I use that as a, uh, as a market marketing handle. So it makes it easier for people to remember how to find me. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I have a website been out there for quite a number of years and, uh, just kind of redone it recently. So I think people will enjoy looking through it. Um, and let's see. And so, also, you can find me on Facebook. I have an active uh, page on Facebook. So, you can find me at Facebook uh, backslash uh, S Douglas Woodward and S as in Steven. And uh, you can also find my books. Um, I am beginning to sell books on my website. And if you like my books and want to buy them, I can sign them for you through uh, doing it there. But uh, most people buy my materials through Amazon, where I have both printed and uh, ebook or Kindle uh, versions of my books. Uh, I've written, I think I'm up to 17 now, so I've written a few. And um, so, anyway, that's uh, that's a great way to find me. And you can reach me email-wise at uh doug at faith happens dot com and I entertain people contacting me to ask questions and uh tell me where I'm wrong um hey Doug, can you briefly just describe uh your
0: latest three books and also the one that we're going to be discussing specific to the fifty five hundred year prophecy
2: right right well so um i've yeah I've written quite a few books as I mentioned um Probably on, on Prophecy, a book I wrote is The Next Great War in the Middle East, which deals with what's been going on in the Middle East for the past few years, uh, the relationship with Russia to the whole Gog-Magog concept uh, and war. So that book uh, deals with that. Uh, a book called Revising Reality with uh, Anthony Patch, uh, Gan Shemura, and uh, Josh Peck. And we deal with co- the cosmology, a cosmology that involves uh, – things like the Nephilim and, and other things that are kind of on the fringe. And, um, and so in addition to that, Let's see. I've written a book with Gary Huffman called *The Revealing*, which deals with the what happens after the rapture, what comes next, and we have uh, some controversial proposals out there in terms of uh, which really ties into Romans 8 uh, in terms of the creation waiting sort of on tiptoe for us to be revealed as the sons of God, and so we get into what that really amounts to, and uh, and then the book I have been Talking to in the last few months has been a book called "Rebooting the Bible," and uh, the the caption or the subtitle is uh, "Part One: Exposing the Second Century Conspiracy to Corrupt the Scripture and Alter Biblical Chronology." So I'm dealing with the conspiracy, which we'll talk about from the first century, and then Part Two will be attempting to. I'll be working on that this summer. Hope to have it out uh, late summer, early fall. And it's really dealing with reconciling the primeval biblical history, which is really the first 11 chapters of Genesis, with uh, modern-day archaeology and alternate history, such as the Graham Hancocks and the Robert Bouvals and people like that. So, so I'm definitely a glutton for punishment, um, and uh, so anyway, that's, uh, that's, those are the projects I'm working on. Are we there?
0: I don't know. Hello. I, I apologize. Somehow I got muted. But um, you, uh, for those okay. that are not familiar with the 5,500 year prophecy, I'll read a really quick passage from the first book of Adam and Eve. And you can find this prophecy paralleled in much of the primary Adamic literature from all the various cultures around the world. And in this passage, it says, God said to Adam, I have ordained on this earth days and years, and thou and thy seed shall dwell and walk in it until the days and years are fulfilled, when I shall send the word that created thee and against which thou hast transgressed, the word that made thee come out of the garden and that raised thee when thou wast fallen, yea, the word that will again save thee when the five days and a half are fulfilled." But when Adam heard these words from God and of the great five days and a half, he did not understand the meaning of them, for Adam was thinking that there would be but five days and a half for him to the end of the world. But in reality, this was representative of 5,500 years. And this prophecy was then passed down through Seth in his generations, um, and they we're looking for and awaiting the coming of the Messiah at five thousand five hundred years. And it's uh, interesting because Kent and I both wrote about this in our various books and our works. And lo and behold, Doug uh, confirmed this in discernment without understanding uh, our previous work in connection to it. And now he he's become confirming witness to this prophecy and the unfolding, and also its connections to um, the Jews, the Pharisees, having hidden that Christ truly was the long-awaited Savior Messiah and the fulfillment of the Old Testament oracles. And so uh, I think we should really start first. We'll start, Kent, with you and how you came upon this and how you first wrote about it, and then uh, we'll go to you, Doug, to you know tie together how it was that you discovered this as well.
1: Are you sure, Dan? Yeah, believe it or not, um, I came at this from a, 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 a dramatic writer's sort of point of view, who was always fascinated with uh, with move, uh, Bible movies, right? You know, uh, not just you know Ten Commandment movies, but uh, movies like Raiders of the Lost Ark. What, uh, from as a young person, I was always Swept up in the fact that you know you could tell the story uh, and, and you could you could inspire faith on a whole on another level, right? It wasn't just sort of like you know a, a preachment, right? So uh, I used to beg God. I said, God, I just want to write a movie, and and I sort of saw the hero's journey in the the the, the in Hollywood, and I thought, you know, it's interesting that the Bible itself, when you when a good uh, a, a preacher or a teacher teaches the Bible, he's not just teaching boring facts and history; he's teaching the dramas. Of scripture and uh, I thought you know someone should give someone should write a good movie about this and I said and then I just happened to stumble onto these uh, these other biblical books uh, in the so-called lost books of the Bible and as I was reading them i was thinking well first of all they were like Shakespeare right so I knew they had to be translated into modern English but I kind of felt like Orson Welles translating Shakespeare but it was this was that just happened in the Bible and I, in these stories is where I first found out about this uh, prophecy of the five and a half days and uh and then as i further researched it i didn't just find it in one story of the book of adam and eve i then found it in another story in the story of jesus and the trial of jesus and this so-called acts upon his Pilate, where at the end of the story well of course i don't want to give away the end of the story completely because it is a movie and and it is entails forever but i was fascinated by the fact that this this five and a half day prophecy was not just in one isolated book and i conceived of this trilogy that literally took decades to adapt and adapt and adapt. So, I because I wanted to make it a real movie, you know, make it not just uh, um, a learning experience, but make it an you know an exciting one. And uh, but then little, little did I know that I was sitting on the timeline uh, that was beyond just a fantasy story. Because most people, like traditional uh, Christian book publishers, said, "Well, we can't. This is a very nice story, but we can't publish it." So I used that I would tell them, well, what about this? And what about that? And what about these parallels with this with the canonical scripture? They couldn't argue with me. So then I said, Well, I must I maybe gonna have to put the 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 chronology uh and some history with my my movie. And then then once I published it, then I stumbled onto you and you had talked about, you had connected the story of Adam and Eve, and you had connected the story of the 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 acts of his Pilate. And I thought, wow. Uh, how do I how do I get in touch with this gentleman? And somehow then Jeff, well of course Jeff Massara was the one who told me about it about you in the first place. And so at that point I asked him, can you talk to Zen somehow and get him get him a copy of my book? Because I think we've got something together where where I've got the sort of the movie version and the, the documentary version, but no one would give me the time of day, basically traditionalists, right? And then you helped me get on the air. And we, again, we sort of found out we were sort of kindred spirits. And then again, so many months later, then suddenly there's Doug on the horizon from a pure chronological point of view. And so now we're moving into the next phase of that operation.
0: Yeah, it's really amazing, um, you know, that we came out to be confirming witness for one another. But Doug, if you would, please, can you tell your side of your research and how you were led into this
2: particular area of study. Right. Well, um, I started researching the chronology of the septuagint and um, relied heavily upon uh, a gentleman that has done extensive work on this. Uh, He had published documents uh, 15, 16 years ago uh, named uh, uh, Barry Sutterfield. And, um, I was not familiar with the fact that the Septuagint chronology was was different. Uh, it's just not anything that I had stumbled across before. so uh, you know, I sometimes say a year ago I learned things that I had never heard before that are in this book uh, rebooting the Bible and it it really was the the fact that the Septuagint's chronology is roughly fifteen hundred years. Uh, longer than the chronology of uh, Bishop James Usher, which is essentially the same as the chronology of the King James Bible, which um, probably your listeners will remember that that Usher famously indicated that uh, that creation uh, occurred in 4004 BC. Well, the, the Septuagint uh, says that the creation, or at least Genesis chapter 1 and 2, um, took place at five thousand five hundred years uh, before Christ, so about fifteen hundred years more, and um, that by itself might not have interested me, although I did study and can talk later as to as to why there is the difference, how it's calculated, and so forth. But when I discovered that many of the church fathers um, believed that the Septuagint chronology was correct, and that they had accused the the rabbis that, by the way, had previously been the Pharisees, they rebranded themselves, that uh, that yeah. they had altered the chronology in order to uh, invalidate that Jesus had fulfilled the 5,500-year 5, prophecy. Uh, I became very intrigued. And then as I studied it more and more and, and saw scholars from both before and after the Reformation confirming that the, the chronology of the Septuagint is is the authentic chronology and that ushers chronology and the popular chronology that we're familiar with which really frankly young earth creationism is based on uh tightly tied together with that or tightly coupled and then i realized wow there's there's a story here a story that needs to be told and uh, and then of course at that time i didn't really know why there was this belief that there was uh, you know uh, that- cro- that the Messiah was going to come fifty five hundred years after adam uh that wasn't that wasn't clear to me, but it was alluded to by a number of the folks that had written research papers that I had studied and uh, and then Jeff Massaro pointed out to me that this guy named Kent Smith had written a book that's really sort of built all around this notion of this 5,500-year 5, prophecy. And so, obviously, that uh, that piqued my interest. And so, digging into that, I realized, oh, that's the reason. That's the, that was the belief that even the, the early church had, that Jesus had, in fact, fulfilled this prophecy. And that was why, for instance, Justin Martyr accused um, the Jewish rabbis in 160 uh, A.D. in his book— um, a dialogue with Trifo, that um, that the Jewish rabbis had corrupted the Old Testament in order to invalidate Jesus of Nazareth being the Messiah. Right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Even in the um, in the Gospel of Nicodemus, at the very end, they go through and reveal the breakdown, uh, a numerical breakdown of the fifty five hundred year prophecy, and speaking to Pontius Pilate. After revealing it to him, they implore him to not share it with anybody or let anybody know for fear of, you know, reprisals from the public for having killed the Son of God and their Savior Messiah. And so, you know, the, they knew and they hid it and they purposely deceived even their own people. Um, and so can you elaborate um a little bit more about this and why you think they did it of course we know it was to hide that he was savior and
2: messiah but um mm-hmm. you know any other opinions on that sure sure um i'll i'll fill in some more of the details there there really are two things that they uh, they were corrupting essentially they were they went through and identified probably a couple of dozen Messianic passages, which I've been outlining. I outlined in the book and have been outlining on, with articles on my website the, uh, the specific passages in the Old Testament that they were changing to um, basically make it look like that the traditional view of salvation by following the law— was in fact what the Messiah was going to uh, rein- reinforce, <coughs> instead of the fact that it would be salvation by grace through faith. So they changed. Uh, they changed many of those verses. They changed the mission of the Messiah, which uh, the mission of the Messiah was to come and to include the Gentiles into the people of God. Um, and so there again, you know, there's there are verses in Isaiah, in the Psalms, um, in the Pentateuch um that uh, in Amos for instance that that talk about the nature of the Messiah what he will do who he is his origin uh his destiny and so forth so that was that's one element of the of the corruption the second element which really deals with chronology has to do with Genesis 5 and Genesis 11 and uh, these are the two really called chrono genealogies meaning they're chronologies and genealogies both mixed together if you will and, um, and so, in Genesis five and in Genesis eleven, they alter the um, the number of years, essentially before um, the particular patriarchs, when those patriarchs had the child that became what I would call the child of promise, not necessarily the firstborn, but the child through whom the lineage leading to Messiah would take place. Oh. So, an example would be that Enoch was the father of Methuselah. Uh, obviously going back to Adam, Adam was the father of Seth. And so when you look at these, at these genealogies, you see the, the connection all the way from Adam all the way down to Abraham. Um, and uh, Noah is right in the middle. And so the, the genealogies in, in Genesis five take you to Noah. And then in Genesis 11, you start with Shem. And you go to Abraham, and so uh, I can get into more detail. But essentially, it's in those uh, areas where it's one thousand three hundred and eighty-six years there that are uh, subtracted from the chronology, and then there's about another hundred and ninety or so years in the uh, related to Daniel chapter nine. Um, and it was what occurred was essentially the the cedar Olam Rabbah, which was the chronology put together in the second century AD uh, by the disciples of Rabbi Akiba, who's kind of the heavy in this whole story of corruption, Um, they created in effect the Jewish calendar. And of course, uh, again, your listeners probably know the Jewish calendar date is like 5779. Well, the real calendar date would be about 7612. (laughs) So in other words, if you if you really understand the chronology of the Old Testament and you go with the Septuagint's chronology and you add back in the hundred and ninety years or so that they took out when they did the Cedar Olam Rabbah, which had to do with a number of, of Persian kings that ruled uh, after they uh after they conquered Babylon so it deals with the Xerxes and the Artaxerxes Xerxes and the Darius and all that so they uh, cut out a number of generations there and again they were cutting out more years so what they wanted to do was invalidate that uh, again that Jesus did not come 5,500 years he came 4,000 years and so he could not have been the messiah
0: yeah absolutely um I don't know if you've looked into this as far as the latest. There's been a lot of uh, research on the Tartarian Empire and um, the how this history of this empire and how it used to be like a world power. It's been excluded completely from the annals and the records and the historical accounts, and not a lot of people know about it. But people studying a lot of the ancient maps that this has also come out um, recently and been a, a, an area of interest for a lot of uh, alternative truth investigators.
2: Do you know anything about that, Doug? I do not. I'm in that group of people that know nothing about it.
0: okay well it's very interesting because it also in doing the research, it shows that you know not only was their entire history excluded, um, but there seems to be a lot of missing years as well with that particular area Hmm. topic um Hmm. but yeah uh kent do you know what i'm talking about with regard to the tartarian empire
1: well we we touched on that briefly and probably one of our last shows and i i i I like doug also and uh didn't was not aware of that lost chapter Mm -hmm. of history so i confess my ignorance at the time and Have since uh, had not, uh, yeah. So I apologize too uh, for for my lack of uh, of awareness on that chapter as well. So Uh,
2: all good. Uh, (laughs) I'm sorry. I was just so now you've piqued our interest. We've got to know what it is. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Most certainly. (laughs) Um, uh, Again, well, I'll just touch briefly upon it uh, with regard to the historical account, and there's even um, specifically a release, a, a secretive, covert CIA document that talks about how uh, the Russians purposely um, remove the, the, the all the uh, studies and the research and their inventions as being connected to the Tartarian peoples. And this was a worldwide empire that even here in America that they had ruled over, uh, during and the ancient times before even Columbus. And it shows on the maps that um, for instance between the 15th and 16th centuries that California was not it was an island off of the coast of the United States. Uh, the Great Lakes had not yet even been uh, created. And then all of a sudden in the world map of 1749 you see that uh, California is now part of the continental landmass and connected to the United States. There's no longer any space between it and the mainland. And then all of a sudden you see also um, plotted on the maps these great lakes you know, up there in the northern part between Canada and the border of the United States. But somehow... These kind of things are not cited or spoken about in the um, the annals or the history or the records, and also that there was these megalithic structures and um, technologies which were far in advance of what you know is even available now, and that the people that were over and creating these. Uh, ancient cities all over the world that had spread through the Tartarian Empire; that they were of larger stature; that they were connected in some way to the giants; and that um, that we see in the in the genealogical records how Cain being excluded from the genealogy of Christ in Luke chapter three. And also in the Cave of Treasures in the Book of the Bee, there's a genealogical record that excludes him. And then we see that, oh, wow, we're already at the first break. But we'll pick this up on the other side. We'll be right back, everyone. And inquiring from the burning of the temple unto the coming of Christ and his birth, we found it to be 636 years which together were 5,500 years, like as we found it written in the Bible that Michael, the archangel, declared before unto Seth that after five thousand and a half thousand years, Christ, the Son of God, hath come. Hitherto have we told no man, lest there should be a schism in our synagogues. And now, O excellent judge, thou hast adjured us by this holy Bible of the testimonies of God and we do declare it unto thee and we also have adjured thee by thy life and health that thou declare not these words unto any man in Jerusalem and so you see here how the Pharisees understanding and knowing that Christ had come 5,500 years uh, just as prophesied to Adam and passed down through his generations that, uh, they hid this knowledge. Um, with regard to the Tartarian empire really quickly, um, it seems to be connected to, uh, both Cain and then Ham and the children, the Ishmaelites, the Esauites, uh, but specifically to the Canaanites who usurped the land from, um, Shem. And when God made the covenant with Abraham, and they went into Canaan and took that land back from the, the giants, the sons of Anak and the Amal- Amalekites that were inhabiting and ruling over that particular Aga, Bashan, and the other giants that were living in that land. They were basically taking back their inheritance that was promised to Shem, but was usurped by the Canaanites. And uh, the genealogy. Uh, in my opinion, a lot of what is written about and declared in why it was that the prophets, apostles, and patriarchs spent so much time detailing it was that these kind of truths would be revealed uh, because we see it connected to the enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent spoken about in Genesis 3.15, and then the, uh, the wheat and the tares let both grow together until the time of the end. And so there's, you know, this ongoing war and it's connected even to the bloodline elites uh, and the war against the masses of today. Um, is that also anything that you have found uh, and followed out in your research, Doug, with regard to what you were looking in uh, with the genealogies and, genealogies and lineages and stuff?
2: No, um not not actually. I I think that, you know, just from doing I like, did a quick search here in terms of, you know, Tartar and Tartary, you know, there it is definitely considered a, a conspiracy theory. Um, you know, and it, it looks like it's related to the Mongol Empire, uh, Genghis Khan and so forth, which was, you know, it was, it was a very dominant empire, we could say through the Middle Ages. Um and so now its relationship to the you know to uh, in effect peoples or lands three thousand years before, uh, as it relates to Cain and so forth, I heard nothing about it at all, and uh, so so I can't be of any any help to that yeah,
0: yeah, now, just okay. to the giants and uh, the connections with them, because the architecture seems to show that these people were of larger stature, but you know you haven't looked into it and studied it, so it's really right. not fair to ask you. Uh, any opinion on it but um can I, you... I have i have written yeah, about and yeah.
1: tales of forever
0: yeah. i don't know if
1: you remember doug you, you said you were interested in the the, the last act of my because as i said not only was i interested in the five and a half days uh being lost from biblical mm-hmm. tradition i was looking for other ways to verify because it's so hard as you well know to go back in the past and fi- and you know, prove uh, that books were written because apparently there has been a, 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 tra- a written tradition all the way back to Enoch. And this is something that I had to explain in terms of, uh, of a pattern of history where we have lost truths and then they are uh, suppressed and uh, going all the way back from, you know, the the the, lo- um, the the kingdoms of Israel being chosen by God and then being scattered and lost. Uh, the same thing when we had the Bible in the first century, it went from being uh, in the hands of the uh, the apostles and the seventy that were chosen, and then for how many centuries went by when it was in a language that the average person didn't even speak, right? It was it was it was a language of the priests and and the um, the, the bishops and whatnot, and then it wasn't until the Wycliffs and and the Reformation that it suddenly come back into our our language frame, right, the, of the common people. So I, I was trying to figure out how do I how do you how do you verify this uh, tradition of the uh, of this uh, this writings of of Adam and Eve and the five and a half day tradition the prophecies and so I, I stumbled onto I did some pyramidology studies because if, if anybody knows about that you have a chronology of the biblical uh, timeline and uh, that was when I suddenly that was when I discovered. The connection between uh, the pyramid and the uh, the, the the patriarchs because it wasn't until i met i was re- researching adam rutherford that i discovered uh the story of the five and a half days connecting not just with a story of adam and eve or the gospel of nicodemus suddenly it was uh, it was the septuagint of that all the early church fathers uh confessed to believing in um and that's also where you find out about the uh, the five thousand five hundred year being connected to the uh, the Ark of the Covenant. So whereas Doug, yeah. I, I, I made this connection where I, I, in my book, uh, there's a character who's called The Theopolis in the first century, and he was the first biblical chronologist who worked out a detailed chronology of creation to to now or to to Christ, and it, it was about five thousand five hundred years. But uh, there was another guy, Hippolytus of Rome. He's the one that said, well, how do we know that Christ came in five thousand five hundred years? He said, "Look to the uh, look to Moses, uh, because he, God told Moses to build the ark of the covenant in uh, uh, dimensions of five and a half. Therefore, by this uh, this five and a half uh, cubit dimensions, you you're we're signifying the five thousand five hundred days uh, which Christ will come." So. I, I just stumbled on that today, and I thought, well, that, that's funny. That sounds kind of like Doug, Doug the Chronologist, and then Kent, sort of this the, the <laughs> symbol, sim, sim, sim symbolist. Because what what I what my book is about is again uh, trying to come up with ways to uh, to sort of transcend the 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 impenetrable nature of uh, history because we weren't there. So uh. when you have the pyramid and its and its uh, edifice and its it you know it's it's a chronology in stone. It's it's mathematical, and it turns out through great amounts of research, there the number five. It turns out is not only is the number five the, the number one number in the pyramid, uh, according to all these p- pyramidologists. Uh, pardon my tongue t- tongue time, but the five there is a five and a half day chronology in the the pyramid, and the pyramid just happens to be called the uh, the pillar of Enoch by by many traditions. And so I then conjectured, well, how could the pyramid have preserved this wisdom of the five and a half days so that in the latter days we would have a way to uh, to kind of you know verify the the impossibility of books, because most historians say, oh, writing was created in what you know when one was writing traditionally thought to be created doug you know you well you know,
2: it, it it certainly depends i mean you know the uh probably the the best way to say it is that it was it was you know the cuneiform of mesopotamia was probably is probably regarded by archaeologists as as the first sort of highly structured alphabet and although it was pictorial as opposed to being symbolic um and you know and so of course then you get into Paleo Hebrew and and uh, so forth. So but probably in the nature of uh three thousand, eight hundred, four thousand BC, you know, and then if you're if you believe in the scriptures chronology, then you're gonna take that all the way back to really to Adam. Uh Enoch, you know, his, there's a lot of legends that suggest that that Enoch was actually the inventor of writing. Correct. That's and, what I'm getting uh, at. What I'm yeah. Getting. And and if so, that would take it back to, you know, mm-hmm. almost 5,000 BC. And uh, yeah, and so the the Egyptian Thoth, which uh, appears to be a name for Enoch, and Enoch also appears to be related to Hermes. Exactly. So, That's so, all so, in the Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, the the pattern, just to, I'll comment, just the pattern that you're identifying in tells of Forever uh, is a pattern that is... Let's just say it's very curious that that pattern reappears as many times as it does in the pyramid. And you do a good job of pointing that out in your book. And uh, in that, you know, as likewise the Ark of the Covenant, there is this sort of five and a half pattern, five and a half, you know, could be years, days, whatever pattern. And that suggests that there's more to this than, uh, than just sort of a, an ancient superstition.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And leading up to trying to follow up with what uh, what the, the the giants and the role of the giants, uh, because if you think about it, uh, one of the most perplexing um, puzzles uh, that we've all grown up in Sunday school, you know, comedians make fun of the Bible. They say, "Oh, God loved the world so much that uh, Noah and his family they all they all got naughty and God destroyed the earth with the flood." You know, it's like whoa, and you and you kind of embarrassed. To talk about the Bible, if you believe that, that God destroyed the earth with a, with a flood because mankind just got, you know, got a little naughty. And, uh, well, if you study the books of Enoch, you find out that, no, it, God didn't destroy the earth because of, of you know, mankind per se, it was actually um, the role of the, the giants and the Nephilim and the Watchers. And I got really curious, and I kept saying, well, there's got to be more. Why would God unleash... Uh, these creatures, knowing full well that they were going to have to be destroyed. And sure enough, it turns out that in the book of Jubilees, it talks about uh, Enoch and his father, Jared. And it says that in the days of Jared, the the watchers descended to teach mankind the judgment and righteousness of God. And so, as you well know, in, in Act 3, I point out that God must have had some really, really good reason to let these guys loose, if he knew full well that they were going to create giants and then they would have to be destroyed, and it turns out that uh, if Enoch was the architect and the Watchers descended in the days of, of of Jared, his father, that there's a very good chance, if you understand the nature of angelic intervention, that uh, one angel and the and the uh, destroyed Sennacherib's army, 165,000 people dead in one night, thousands of people uh, killed, and you know, so there's all this sort of there is a there is a biblical role of the power of angelic intervention and uh we, and when you look at the construction of the pyramid with millions and millions of tons of stone uh blocks and you and people have naturally had a conjecture well some form of alien beings must have created this 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 pyramid well you don't need aliens if you have a- angelic uh, you know watchers who are uh, basically the 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 construction crew for Enoch and if you study the pyramid you'll find over and over and over there's uh, absolute proof that uh, Enoch's stamp is written into this thing, and I'm so much better at, at writing this book. I, I pardon, pardon me for uh, you know not being able to explain it properly sometimes because uh, the the book is so you know meticulously drawn out, and and I'm also limited by my own ability to trying to regurgitate the book. So, but the well, point it's,
2: is- it's it's hard when you write a. 500 or 600 page book to be able to make it succinct and (laughs) talk about it on a radio show. So I, uh, I sympathize with what you're saying, but, but the reality is that you, you show a pattern and, um, and you point out, of course, the, the, um, the various books, the pseudepigrapha that really was some of it written before Christ, perhaps some of it written after Christ, like the gospel of Nicodemus, perhaps. And, uh, and so to me, for me, it's not important whether or not the uh, you know the prophecy was in fact I, you know I, this could come across wrong it, to some extent. It's, it's not important to me that the that the prophecy was given before um, you know the time of Christ. What is important to me is that the the uh, the early church believed it. the The rabbis believed it. They believed it so much so that they wished to corrupt the Old Testament. They wished to corrupt the chronology of the Septuagint, and that is that fact, and that's a fact that has been hidden. And so the the five and a half now after reading your book, Ken, I would say I do believe that the prophecy was a real prophecy, and it is a pattern of reality, Um, and it was a you know pattern that God providentially hid into you know various things and it, and it's hinted at like you're saying in the Ark of the Covenant it's more than hinted at in the construction of the of the pyramid uh, and of course you know you go into great depth as to how you uh, you know, literally down to the inches of uh, you know, in terms of the the uh, dimensions of the pyramid, that this story is being told, and so um, you know, to say that there's something to it is uh, is a vast understatement. Right. Uh, it's it's a real it's a real deal, basically.
1: Now, there is one thing I can say very clearly and without hesitation. The reason it's so important that this five and a half day be recovered compared to the four thousand four BC date is primarily because, as we're talking about the primordial promise of the Genesis, where it said the seed of the woman would come and, and uh, you know, crush the head of the serpent. That is not a time-specific uh, uh, promise. It's just sort of a vague promise that may or may not have come true. So the, the listener over the ages, you know, he's got no frame of reference. But when you take the promise in the, uh, to, uh, to, from God to Adam and Eve saying, I will come rescue you after five and a half days— and somebody then shows up after four days, then God's not faithful. But if you can verify that God showed up in Christ after five thousand five hundred years, you have a you know, you have an immensely different shade to that whole promise because now God showed up on time, and he he he, came, he the, the world bent the streams of history now bent to his word of mm-hmm. promise. And now faith when it says when it says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, you know, uh, we're it's it's instilling faith. and if if it's impossible yeah, it's, is God it's, without faith.
2: yeah, it, it's really it's an apologetic, you know, and, and that's yes. really to me sure. what what's important is that um, is that this was an evidence, you know, that the Messiah was going to come right on time. And he did come right on in time, and the the Pharisees, cum uh, rabbis, decided that they needed to corrupt the the Bible itself, the Old Testament, in order to try to disprove that Jesus was the Messiah. And uh, and so you know it it is uh, it's very important. And of course, for me, um, the apologetic that I make a great deal of in uh, in in my book, rebuting the Bible, is that if you understand that the chronology the biblical chronology the primeval chronology is you know is 5500 years rather than 4000 years from the time from Adam to Christ all of a sudden now you can actually reconcile the secular histories the history uh, you know in Egyptology the Mesopotamian archaeology, all of a sudden, the, the timing of the flood, the timing of the Tower of Babel, this can all be laid out in, in, in concert with the, the events as they're uh, documented empirically in, uh, we'll say, secular science and archaeology. And whereas if you go with the shorter chronology, you have all kinds of conflicts, for instance meaning let me just give you one specific give you one specific example that would be the flood the flood of noah in the uh, traditional chronology the shorter chronology is is 2350 bc but in the septuagint's chronology it is 3500 bc and if we look at the you know the what archaeology tells us about the flood the legend of the flood across the world it it essentially says that the flood happened in that fourth millennium uh, B.C., meaning that it happens about three thousand five hundred B.C., and so that is what the secular archaeologists are saying. And so, if you go into if you buy into the Septuagint's chronology, all of a sudden it connects; it doesn't conflict with um, you know the Bible. And uh, in secular archaeology, so I think that's a that to me is a very important uh, evidence as well,
0: uh, Doug. When you say the Septuagint chronology, are you referring again? You mentioned previously Genesis five and Genesis eleven, or is there somewhere else specific
2: that you are alluding to? Well, it's it really is. You know, th- that's a that's a good question. Um, it's Genesis 5 and Genesis 11, but um, those by themselves add, as I said, about 1,386 years as the differences between what the Masoretic text, which is the traditional conventional Bible that we Protestants follow, versus the Septuagint, the Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament that was done about 300 years prior to the life of Christ if you uh, compare those two that's what you find now the the question of how you really get at that date it you have to do more research it's not just genesis 5 and genesis 11 because that takes you from adam all the way down to abraham but now how do you get from abraham to christ and then you have to do to do that to get to, the, to that date you have to do some pretty uh, intricate research related to how long was the time of the kings of Israel. You know, for instance, when was Solomon? When was David? When was Saul? And then prior to Saul, you had Samuel, you had the period of the judges. And the period of the judges is an extremely difficult time to understand um, in terms of the biblical witness. And so it takes a a lot of research to nail that down. And um, so once you get that, then you get into the whole issue of when was the Exodus? So what year did the Exodus occur? And is there uh, archeological support for nailing down those dates? And the answer is yes but the problem is that the conventional archaeology that evangelicals follow uh, follow they want to say that the exodus was about 1440 BC or the the conquering of the land of Canaan was roughly 4000 14005 uh, BC well the the problem is that if you compare that to the archaeology of the city of Jericho and the other cities that Joshua and Caleb and the children of Israel conquered, the archaeology says that those things happened about 1580 BC. And so there's a movie called Patterns of Evidence that really lays this out very, very well. And it points out that the, you know, evangelical, uh, basically evangelical archaeology based upon Usher and the, in the, King James Bible and so forth, yet it gets the date wrong. And so once you get that date wrong, then, and you miss the date of the Exodus, then you, you know, you're starting to get really far off in terms of century after century that you've gotten wrong. The other key thing that you have to work out is the length of time that the Israelites were slaves in Israel.
0: Uh-huh. And
2: there's really two different Views in the Bible. One is that it was for 400 years. The other is that it was for, you know, basically 200 years. And um, the work that I've done, based upon work of other people, is that the actual time of slavery for the, for the Israelites was 100 years. The time from the Exodus until the time of, of uh, the promise to Abraham was 430 years, which corresponds with what Paul says in the New Testament. Right,
1: 430,
2: yeah. Yeah, and so once you get that, what you find out is that there's a 215-year period from the initial promise to Abraham when Abraham was essentially 70 years old, and then from that point until the time of the enslavement of uh, of, uh Well, until the the time of the Israelites in Egypt, it's 215 years. And from the time from essentially when Jacob comes into uh, Egypt, uh, Jacob that has become Israel comes into Egypt. Now it's 215 years uh, from that point until the time of the Exodus. So when you link all these things together, and that's really what I do in rebooting the Bible, is I build the chronology step by step. And what that does is it then validates that the chronology is 5,500 years. I actually calculate about 5,600 years. And uh, I won't go into detail as to why there's a slight difference there, but it is essentially five and a half millennium. And uh, and so that's how I got to it. And it turns out that many of the church fathers, they gave dates for when uh, Adam Uh, you know, was born and so forth, when Adam was created, and it's five and a half millennium. And so there's concurrence uh, there. And then there's also post-Reformation, more recently, there's at least a dozen authors that also confirm the same. And so what turns out to be the the sort of standard conventional evangelical chronology is just flat and wrong. And, uh, And it hurts our witness, and it hurts our evangelism, because it puts us in conflict with science so all right so there you go
0: awesome well when we return from break and we have second hour can you share some of the passages or some of the details of the church fathers that spoke about
2: the 5500 year prophecy yes i'll go i'll go look up some of those and i know that you've got a great list of them don't you can't
1: i've I've got them right in front of me i have my
2: perfect Perfect. that'll be something you can Uh, do then
0: all right we'll tag team then um We'll be right back, everybody. Uh, we're almost at break for the second hour, and we'll go into this in great detail. And I'll, when we return, I'll share uh, a passage from the Book of the Bee, which is slightly off. It mentions 5,200 years, but gives a breakdown. We'll be right back, everyone. All right. Welcome back, everybody, for a second hour. I'm your host, Zen Garcia. This is Secrets Revealed here on Truth Frequency Radio I have as guests with me both authors S Douglas Woodward and W Kent Smith and we are speaking about the 5500 year prophecy of the coming of Christ given to Adam when he was actually banished from paradise this was a prophecy that was passed down through the lines um, from Seth through his generations, and as revealed in the revelation of the Magi, uh, it's possibility that even the Magi, who everybody believes to have been um, Persian um, soothsayers or something of that nature, that in that text, uh, which is a second century Syri- second century Syriac text um, recently released, it describes how they were connected to the children of Seth and that that order was put together to watch for the coming of Christ and his incarnation in the flesh form in this 5,500 year timeline. Um, Rick, really quickly I'd like to share a passage from the book of the bee, which details a 5,265 year timeline uh, and gives some details and, It's interesting in that it also connects with what Doug had mentioned um, from Abraham to the Exodus being 430 years. I'll read this really quickly. It says, from Adam to the flood was 2,262 years. From the flood to Abraham was 1,015 years. From Abraham to the Exodus from Egypt was 430 years. From the Exodus to Solomon and the building of the temple was 400 years. From Solomon to the first captivity, which Nebuchadnezzar led away captive, 495 years. From the first captivity to the prophesying of Daniel was 180 years. And from the prophesying of Daniel to the birth of our Lord, 483 years, which adds up to 5,000 years. 265 years, um, close to the 5,500 year prophecy. And that's just another outside source which confirms this uh, 5,500 year timeline. And so let's go back to Kent. Uh, Kent, if you would maybe share a couple of passages from different, um, you know, from the different church fathers, and then we'll go to Doug. Okay,
1: Uh, but before I do that, I do want to get to that. But uh, speaking of the cave, um, speaking of the Book of the Bee, there is another, uh, because you mentioned the Cave of Treasures, but you know, there is actually, are you speaking of the Book of the Cave of Treasures, uh, Zen, or are you just referring to the Adam and Eve story? Because there is a Uh, Book of the Cave of Treasures. It was supposedly written by Ephraim the Syrian, who mentions the 5,500-year prophecy.
0: Yes, uh, the Cave of Treasures also makes mention of it several times. Different texts. And then, you know, this passage that I just read from is from the Book of the Bee, which both the Book of the Bee and the Cave of Treasures, they uh, share, you know, in parallel of much of what they uh, cover in content with regard to the biblical narrative.
1: Because this, this book does actually break it down not just 5,200 years, but actually 5,500 years.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And uh, it, it's attributed to Ephraim the Syrian. And uh, what's interesting, though, is, is the, the man that brought it into the English translation, uh, E.A. Wallace Budge, who was well-known for uh, translating the, the Egyptian Book of the Dead, uh, in his book, it's interesting that he, he says that Uh, Quote, unquote, there is no doubt whatsoever that the writer of the cave of treasures borrowed largely from the book of Adam and Eve, where God promised more than once to Adam that after five and a half days, i.e. 5,500 years, he would send a redeemer into the world who would save Adam and his descendants from the destruction which his sin in paradise had incurred. Uh Uh, Moreover, Bud uh, confirmed the literary link between the two texts in his recounting of the rediscovery of the cave of treasures in which he stated the famous author of the Catalog of Oriental Manuscripts in the Vatican Library, one Giuseppe Asimani, described a Syriac manuscript containing a series of apocryphal works which contained the history of a period of 5,500 years, i.e., from the creation of Adam to the birth of Christ, and that it was a historical chronicle based upon the scriptures. But no attempt was made to publish the Syriac text. In fact, little attention was paid to it until August Dillman, the 19th century German Orientalist began to study the book of Adam and Eve in connection with it. And then he noticed that c- the contents of whole sections of the Cave of Treasures in Syriac and the book of Adam and Eve in Ethiopia were identical.
0: Awesome. That is awesome. Okay.
1: So now as far as the, uh, the links in the early church fathers uh, who ascribed this 5,500 years, I did, like I said, I did chronicle uh, everybody in that list. And, uh, besides Theopolis and besides Theophilus uh, and besides the, the uh, Ephraim the Syrian that I mentioned before, another uh, early church father who, who was very famous, but yet very under, under, I guess you could say underrated. I don't know if you can apply that to church fathers, right? His name was Julius Africanus. He was a Libyan historian and chronologist of the late 2nd and early 3rd century. But wh- whereas most people have uh, not heard of this Africanus uh, gentleman, He is highly regarded for his influence on other more well-known figures among later church fathers, most notably Eusebius. Everybody knows about Eusebius. But uh, the the sort of the man behind the man was uh, this gentleman called uh, uh, Julius of Africanus. And he said in his book, he says, Why should I speak of the three myriad years of the Phoenicians, or the follies of the Chaldeans, with their 48 myriads? For the Jews, deriving their origin from the descendants of Abraham, together with the truth by the spirit of Moses, have handed down to us, By their extant Hebrew histories, the number of five thousand five hundred years, as being the period up to the advent of the Word of Salvation that was announced to the world, which has held sway in the time, or which was held sway in the time of the Caesars. So, as a result of his work, the same chronology became firmly rooted in the Eastern Mediterranean world, which afterward placed the date of creation at or about five thousand five hundred B.C. So, based on that estimation, we have many uh, famous names. We have Clement of Alexandria, who who believed in the 5,592. We have Julius Hilarion, 5,530 BC, Georgius Sendrenes, uh, Maximus Martyr, Lactanius, Eutychus, uh, Gregory of Tours, and Georgius Senna- Sencellus, 5,500 BC, uh, Pandorus of Alexandria, Maximus the Confessor, and Sulpius uh, Severus, and they all believe in this 5,500 years, and accordingly, the Byzantine calendar dated the creation of the world at 5,509. While in Ethiopia, it was observed, uh, quote unquote, the most authentic ancient history of that country, according to James Bruce. It's if you, I don't know if anybody remembers the name James Bruce, but uh, he was in, the, 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 book,
0: the, of the book, of,
1: book of Enoch, yeah. So, James Bruce, it says, it says here that. The most authentic ancient history of that country, according to James Bruce, is the Chronicle of Axum, which attests that there is an interval of five thousand five hundred years between the creation of the world and the birth of Christ. So these are no small names, and all these all this history was just swept under the rug. And right. the, ir- the great irony of history is one of the one of the most important things for us as Westerners was the Reformation, right? But how ironic. That the Reformation would have been would have been such a create such a backlash of anti-Catholic sentiment, and uh, I think I've mentioned this to you before. And you know, I, I'm you know I, I believe in all these things, but I'm not anti-Catholic. I'm not anti-Jewish. Anybody that thinks we're on the show here attacking Jewish people for changing the chronology or cat you know Catholics, or this we're not talking about the people, right? You know, guys. I mean, we're always talking about right. it's always, it's always the bureaucrats. <laughs> it's always it's always the leaders. That are trying to, uh, w- uh, w- you know, uh, what control their vested interests? Wouldn't you say that, uh, Doug? With these so-called people that change the chronology?
2: Uh, uh, yeah, they. People... As we say colloquially, they have a dog in the race. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: So all these names, all these people, all this this fame, this this untainted timeline, and yet, uh, and I and I personally, I you know who I blame? I blame the enemy of truth. I blame the father yes. of lies. Absolutely. Uh, because think about it, if he couldn't stop the Reformation from happening, if he couldn't stop the, the 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 language of the people being the now the vessel of the Word of God being taken out of the realm of, of the darkness because it was in a, it was in Latin and who spoke Latin in those days except the priests? So now, and this is my other argument too, right? Zan, people say, oh, you know, you can't believe in the, these lost books, you can't believe in the pseudo epigrapha, you can't believe in any of this stuff because it wasn't in our Bible, right? Well they completely ignore the fact that the Bible that we call the Bible was itself for a thousand years, basically lost and imprisoned to the masses. So if you're going to throw out the other pseudo epigraph, you're going to throw out these other books that are corroborative to the to the Canon, like the Book of Enoch that stood side by side with the book of uh, Revelation up until the uh, the Council of Nicaea basically kind of threw it out, and the only reason they did it was because the church fathers basically were uncomfortable. With uh, Enoch's angelology, so it was. It was all there. So then, so these people are trying to say, "Oh, you can't believe in these things because they were lost for a reason." Well, was was the canon lost for a reason for a thousand years? I would argue, and and, and Doug would back me up on this. I would think that that's the pattern that I've been I've been trying to to demonstrate that didn't just happen with this with the pseudo epigrapha. It didn't just ha- it happened with Enoch's writings. So the reason we have biblical allusions to Enoch's written tradition. It was lost why was it lost the same reason why the israelites got scattered and got punished because god gave god gave his word the the mankind who was the recipient of god's word basically took it for granted instead of taking it as responsibility to be a light and to be salt they said oh well you know that we're we're privileged and this pattern keeps repeating over and over and over and over and it's not like god fell off his throne it's just that he's just again he's he's a stickler to, you know, you're going to appreciate my word. And uh, even though, and this is the other subplot of the Tales of Forever, is that it gets, it doesn't just get lost uh, uh, for a reason and then d- get rediscovered haphazardly. The set times, in the same way that, that Christ came the first time according to a set time of 5,500 years, I can also show you in other subplots of the storyline that uh, the Reformation kind of came right on time. Because why? Because the printing press, uh, and where is the printing press? You can actually find the printing press in the timeline of the pyramids' chronology. So the fact that we then had the 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 the, uh, the printing press and what was the first thing that we printed on the printing press? What what was Gutenberg's first uh, publication? Right, it was the, the Bible. Bible. The Bible, Everybody, of yeah. course. So, but if you can show it in terms of a timeline of God's set times of Him being faithful to. I I told you ahead of time that I'm going to do something. And if the, the devil comes along and tries to stop it, what he's now going to do, he's going to take this 5,500-year 5, chronology that was literally happening up until the time of the printing press, up until the time of the Reformation. And the great irony of the Reformation is at that great moment where this truth could have been known, and you and I wouldn't even be on the radio arguing about it, you might say, because we're not arguing, but I mean we're arguing with traditionalists. Uh, the Reformation became the very vessel of where it be- we became so anti-Catholic for whatever reason that um, they were afraid of the of this Septuagint Bible. That I guess I don't know somewhere I, I, have you read um, uh, Doug that the I think something to the effect of they said that the Luther and his followers knew that the Catholics were using the Septuagint to to base their feast days or something, and they didn't want to have anything Catholic or something. So right. they decided to to the, in favor of the Septuagint. They decided to go with the the the, uh, the Masoretic text. And at that point, then suddenly, uh, Bishop Usher comes along, sort of an unwitting, uh, you know, co-conspirator. And he then perpetuates and creates this whole thing of the four thousand four B.C. And then so that so if you can't, like they said, the devil can't beat him. So he joins him, and yeah. and instead yeah. of having a great victory. At the moment when the Word of God is becoming in the articulate tongue of the masses, uh, this beautiful, this amazing proof of God's time-specific promise is swept under the rug. And now, 400 years later, we have to thank some of our 1840, 1850 guys, who I quote in my book, by the way, Nathan Rouse, who in 1850 reminded us this timeline was, was around till—and I can I read that last time, so when we have a chance, yeah, uh, we'll weave that into the storyline, too, where I can quote— Uh, Nathan Rouse in 1850, where he talks about how uh, the Protestant church is the only church that does not follow this 5,000-year, 500-year timeline because the Greek Orthodox church to this day pretty much still does, right? I don't know if you're—
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Greek Orthodox church follows the Septuagint the uh the vulgate um i need to go look specifically at the vulgate but uh, i know that the Vul- vulgate was based primarily on the masoretic text uh because jerome um jerome learned hebrew and uh he studied he you know he moved he moved back to israel to become thoroughly conversant with hebrew and his friends had told him that his jewish friends had told him that well you know that if you're going to create a Latin translation of the Bible, you should work from the Hebrew, not from the Greek. You should work from the original. And of course, the trick was is that the Hebrew had been changed about 250 years before uh, Jerome wrote or translated uh, into the Vulgate. And so, uh, yeah, so there was was a, a problem with that. So anyway, yes, the idea that the Protestants are the primary um promoters of the shorter chronology that is that is absolutely correct and uh and of course that's why um the the primary opponents that I have for what I've written in rebooting the bible would be those that are king james only people
0: because <laughs> the king
2: james essentially of course it you know it it basically uh states that the 4000 year Uh, time frame from Adam to Christ is, is of course, that's their inerrant view that uh, the Bible can't make mistakes, and therefore, you know, that can't possibly be wrong. And uh, so they overlook a few other facts uh, regarding the Messianic prophecies. And of course, one of the points I make is that if you you really look at the question of whether or not the Old Testament King James has, uh, in effect, errors in it, is you need to compare it to the New Testament King James. The New Testament King James provides um, over 300 quotations of the Old Testament, which is probably no surprise to us. And in those quotations, it corrects, you might say, the Masoretic text, uh, and it gets the prophecies right. And why is that? Well, because it's quoting from the Septuagint. It's not quoting from the Masoretic. Uh, and so that's one of the things I labor to do in the book is point that out. Despite the fact that I point that out, I think rather clearly, um, the King James only folks are so ideologically <laughs> committed to the King James that they actually refuse to look at the evidence.
0: Right. And so
2: uh, and so they basically say that I'm a heathen. In fact, I've actually then I've actually been called a Jesuit. Beggars. <laughs> <laughs> <So>, mm, <that's laughs> Yeah. 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 So uh, so anyway, so that's that's the core of the reason why the shorter chronology, the Usher chronology is is still holding sway today is that it's it's based upon a reverence for the King James Bible that frankly even the scholars that did the translation didn't have for the King James Bible because they basically said that it needed to, you know it would need to be improved just as they had improved the bishop's Bible uh, that was there before them
0: mm-hmm. I'd like to remind people as well too that in the early establishment of the church after the life of Christ and the Great Commission of the Apostles that there was no canon for several hundred years uh, mm-hmm. in regard to you know what we have now. And even the King James that there was included the apocryphal works which are now discounted from that particular, you know, the 66 book version of the mm-hmm. King James Bible. But um, wanted to ask both of you a question as well with regard to the book of Enoch and its rediscovery and reintroduction to uh, the English speaking world after James Bruce's discovery of it in the Ethiopic canon. But do you think that one of the reasons that it was targeted, um, which I do believe that it was targeted and that it was removed from, you know, approved and authorized uh, consideration by uh, the, those that you know, did the whole canonical process uh, was that it was messianic and it contained uh, information on Christ as the, you know, the elect one and the son of man uh, as referenced and alluded to in the first book of Enoch and that because there was such a, a fight and a struggle against uh, Yahushua being the savior messiah, that perhaps that was one of the reasons for it being, um, you know, condemned and criticized in, in such manner by certain powers that be. Well, um,
2: you, would you can would you like me to tackle that?
1: I, I, I have yeah. a proviso, but yeah, go for it. Oh, I yeah. have, well, then We you... have my one okay. of them, one of the reasons why I think is because again we're we're so enamored with the seven thousand and the six thousand timeline. Uh, actually, first Enoch actually introduces a 10-week uh, breakdown of human history where he ta- where he clearly talks about the church age and the age of uh, the Israelites and uh, their role before the church, and that there's even a generation where the sheep ha- are going are be- to be given a sword, which actually I would think would be speak of that generation of the church that would have to be removed before the man of sin could be taken away because we never get to hear about... The power of the church. Everybody talks about the rapture, like everybody's sitting around, like hat, hat in hand, trying to get the heck out of here because you know, <laughs> the world's going to hell in a handbasket. And I'm reading in the book of Enoch that there's a generation like that's going to have, like I said, like it's like it's like the sheep that were getting devoured in the in the other weeks, earlier weeks, are suddenly having power with the power of a sword. And I'm thinking this this could be interesting because it's a ten week prophecy which obviously flies in the face of the so-called 7,000-year prophecy that everybody keeps running around about. And Because if you think about it, everybody thought if Christ is coming after five and a half days, that uh, in 500 AD, this is spoken of quite often in the early church fathers, they were were convinced the world was going to end in 500 because it had to end in 6,000 years. So now here we are. 2000 years after the 5,500, we're in the 7,500 year, technically speaking. I think Doug mentioned that, right? So, how do you, how do you, what do we do with the 7,000 year timeline? It's, is God faithful or is it not? So, if you look to the book of Enoch, first Enoch, he's got, he's given us a little more leeway. And as I say, I don't know if it was human agency that, that was completely at odds with it. I think because the early church fathers when you read about it certain individuals i can't i I've, I've chronicled them in my my list in one of my chapters here it was either jerome or augustine they were uncomfortable with the angelology so that was why they got on the, the bandwagon to get rid of enoch but uh primarily i'm thinking that it, it disrupted the whole idea you can't have a ten thousand year a 10 week uh, prophetic uh timeline if we're all running around claiming to be uh, expecting a 7,000-year chronology to exist. You see what I'm saying? So there was a, sort of a conflict of interest there that I don't think anybody's even uh, taken into account yet, except for, you know, I, I would call it pattern-seeking brain nerds like me who, 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 who actually believe this stuff, because I believe in God's power. I believe if God said that God walked and talked with Enoch and he wrote books, I'm just, you know, naive enough to think, okay, he did. We lost the books. That's okay. That's the pattern. But, you know, so... um uh, yeah, so I'm thinking that uh, you know there's a reason why, but I still blame, like I say, I blame the enemy of the, the truth and the father of lies for uh, finding human vessels to ex- express his will and suppressing these truths. And, and again, it's like the age-old thing of God raising up Babylon. Uh, Babylon was bad and God chose Israel, but didn't the Bible say that God raised up Babylon to punish Israel? So if the devil finds willing instruments to suppress books like Enoch, isn't he doing it because it's, you know, God is, God is intervening and he's, he's using these human instruments to let these patterns of lostness and foundness and restoring according yeah. to the set times, you see? So yeah, it all fits in my mind.
2: Doug? Yeah. Um, well, in terms of, of the, you know, kind of the, the rejection of the Apocrypha um, most of the Apocrypha was written uh, in between, you might say, the Testaments. Um, many of the books, of course, were written and included in the Septuagint. Um, most of them were written in Hebrew, but some of them were written in Greek, such as First and Second Maccabees and so forth. It was actually written in Greek. the The, the primary guideline that was being used by the uh, the the rabbis at a little town called Jamnia or Javnia or Yavnia, uh, depending upon one's pronunciation of the letter Y and J and so forth. Um, And this was where they gathered after the temple had been destroyed in 70 AD. Um, They founded a school, and it's there that they, among other things, corrupted the Old Testament, but they also decided on what their canon would be, although they didn't use that term. But they essentially decided that any book... That was written after the time of Nehemiah and essentially Malachi, which was really the last prophet of the the Old Testament, that any any book written after that period of time would not be included in their Bible and I think in part that was because they were fearful that there was um, there were testimonies in these books written in this period that would reinforce um, Jesus as the Messiah, because by 100 AD, they looked at the Septuagint, even though it was translated from the Old Testament Hebrew, they looked at it as the Christian Bible. Um, And so that's one of the reasons why they wanted to make changes to it. And then it's also the reason why they created or in effect sponsored uh, new Greek Versions of the Old Testament to be created that would be disseminated to throughout the diaspora, so that all the synagogues would have a corrected Greek Old Testament. Because by that time, folks throughout the diaspora did not speak, and most did not read Hebrew, mm-hmm, right. and so you know they they had to have Greek. So the question was, uh, oh, got to stop. We're gonna yeah. come right back there and talk about that when we get back.
0: Yeah, we'll pick it up shortly be right back for final segment everyone all right welcome back everybody for final segment the show is going by quickly let me turn it back over to you doug so you can finish up with your Mm -hmm. thoughts
2: yeah, yeah. So we were talking about, you know, why um a lot of the uh well, why the apocryphal books and really that would include also the pseudopigraphas, so called, um, were not included in the Jewish Old Testament. And uh and because that's also, you know, whatever they included would, would turn out to be what would not be included in the Protestant New Testament either. Uh or excuse me, in the Protestant Bible. But anyway, let me go back. So uh after Nehemiah. After the prophes- uh, prophecy of Malachi, it was deemed that there would be no additional prophecy given; that it was all said and done, and uh, and so books that were created uh, in that period, uh, the quiet period, as sometimes this is called, really in the sort of the fourth, third, second centuries before uh, B.C., before Christ, books written there, many of which appear in the Septuagint and uh will come to ha- will come to appear later in the vulgate um and in the 1611 version of the king james were uh you know were not included by the uh the jewish rabbis when they finalized more or less their canon around 100 AD and uh and that was the principle and the the, the suspicion that one could have would be that they were rejecting the the um, Alexandrian, which was the Septuagint was created in Alexandria, Egypt, they rejected that Greek Bible because it had become by that time one hundred a d had become the Christian Bible. It was being used by the Christian evangelists, we know them as the apostles and disciples and so forth. They were quoting the Septuagint and were quoting the the you might say the authentic or original Uh, prophecies the way that they were written in the original Hebrew, and uh, it was those verses that were causing people to convert to become Christians and leaving the Jewish faith, if you will. And so they mistrusted that, obviously. They decided they would change the Old Testament, and they would then create new Greek Bibles, uh, and they created three uh, by a guy named uh, Aquila uh, a guy named Symmachus and another one named Theodosian. And those three Greek Bibles, were Old Testaments, were written in the second century A.D. And so the, so the Apocrypha and the Pseudepigrapha, like uh, the Book of Enoch, were rejected because they uh, it's believed they were written in that period of time. Now, there's debate. You know, there's a lot that would say that, oh, gee, you know, Enoch was written by Enoch himself and so forth. The scholarship would not agree with that. But regardless, um, that was the kind of the principle that was causing those books to be uh, to be rejected. Now, what's interesting, of course, uh, is that the the Christians uh, in the at the Reformation decided, uh, Luther and Calvin decided that because the 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 rabbis had rejected the apocrypha, that they would therefore not accepted, you know. In, in effect, it had to be considered of secondary value, and so it was, you know, distinguished, and um, and it w- was considered also deuter deuterocanonical, you know, in the Vulgate and uh, in in the Septuagint. It was not considered to be canonized, inspired, in effect, uh, uh, from which doctrine could be created and so forth. And so um, it was really because the rabbis no longer believed that prophecy could happen, and yet the Christian church, of course, believed that the most prophet, the most inspired prophet of all was this guy named Jesus. And so uh, the fact is, is that there was inspiration uh, that was continuing. Even Augustine argues that the Septuagint was inspired by God. As well, and so you have all these different opinions about whether books were or weren't inspired, which is somewhat what Kent begins to get into when he's talking about the apocrypha and the fact that uh, in in the Pseudepigrapha, the Book of Jubilees, uh, Enoch, and then others such as the the Book of Adam and Eve, and so on, you get these stories that actually have you know some spiritual value and and uh, reflect. Uh, many of the traditions of the early church, and uh, and so it's not as simple as saying something is or isn't canon uh, in order to determine whether or not it has it has value. So anyway, so that's a long-winded response to the question of uh, you know why were these books rejected? I wanted to bring up a, a point that
0: has recently come to discovery as well. Uh, a doctor Stephen Guide and his brother Zavetin. Gardeski, they released in 2006 a a series of books called The Thracian Script Decoded. And what is interesting about the Thracian Script Decoded is that it this culture dates back to the oldest archaeological discoveries uh, to artifacts which are dated to like 6000 and 7000 BC and really illustrious and beautiful artifacts, really refined gold and silver. But anyways, they um, were able to decode the language, and what they discovered with regard to this Boheric language is it's pictographic as well, and that the uh, ancient hieroglyphic system, the Egyptian hieroglyphic system, seems to be based upon it. But um, what is really interesting about these people and about their oral traditions and the legacy of um, a number of texts that have been released called the Thracian Chronicles is that they were ancient Christians and their culture predated even the Sumerian uh, cuneiform and you know the Sumerian which came up uh, supposedly 1,500 years after them. But what the research into these people and their oral traditions. And the they also have what I believe to be the most ancient account of the first book of Adam and Eve. It's called the Thracian Book of Atom and Ua. And in this particular text, it holds uh, has specific chapters which are not found included in any of the other primary Adamic literature. But it makes mention of and speaks about uh, Christ calls him Jesus, um, and calls him also the Lamb of God, talks about in the same way this fifty five hundred year prophecy of the coming of Christ and being told to Adam when Adam and Eve when they are cast out of paradise, it seems to be you know the oldest rendition and possibly the Original source for all of the other uh, books of Adam and Eve, and as I said, their culture predates the Sumerian. In in my opinion, the legacy of their work and the information that is being brought forth now by Doctor Guy and his brother is that the Sum- that the Bible and the f- core tenets of our faith and um, the uh, you know the biblical narrative were not stolen, plagiarized, or counterfeited from the ancient Sumerian or the pagan cultures, whether it's the ancient Egyptian, Sumerian, or the Greeks, but that, in fact, um, these stories and the myth, you know, the legends and the knowledge of Christ and his virgin birth and all of that predates these ancient pagan cultures and that, in fact, it shows that the opposite is true that in fact they plagiarized from christian um prophecies yeah that were known and that predated even you know again these you know because so many people say that the stories of um the flood were based upon sumerian texts and that the stories of the bible were stolen from uh Mm -hmm. the traditions of the pagan peoples in sumer but um You know, the study of the Thracian material that has uh, recently come to light actually proves the opposite, which I think is absolutely fascinating, and it's something that is still being suppressed. Not a lot of people know about this, and uh, both Dr. Guide and his brother, they have not only been attacked, condemned, and criticized, but have been physically assaulted, and uh, Dr. Guide was poisoned and passed away. Uh, shortly after the release of these books, and his brother, um, Svetin, who's a bishop of the modern Thracian church, he was beaten to death, well, almost beat to death outside of his home, uh, but actually survived that assault, and so it, it in my opinion, kind of shows that the, the lengths that people are going to to suppress this information and keep this knowledge from coming to light, but that is also an interesting area of study that you guys might consider uh, with regard to the 5,500 year prophecy, and you know the fact that it shows that Christian uh, that the Christian beliefs and knowledge of the coming of, of Christ predated even the Sumerian cultures and the ancient Egyptian empires.
1: Absolutely. Well, that's why the pyramid chronology was in, it was absolutely critical in my research because being the dramatists and the narrative person i am i but at the same time i'm also i consider myself an empiricist so i said i got to have something to balance my you know everybody telling me oh can't these are nice stories and you know you did a nice job blah 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 but you know be reasonable right so i said okay i'll I take that as a challenge and then you dig into the the chronology of the pyramid well that thing is that thing's been here a while you know mm-hmm. and and right. it's 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 a rock-solid uh, absolute uh, witness, and that's and that was what it was designed to do. That's what the Watchers were there to do. And if Enoch had a relationship with the Watchers, and you can find a five-and-a-half-year timeline in the pyramid, which I, I completely outline, I hope, to certain degrees of satisfaction, yay or nay, Doug, right, and, and Zen, you know?
0: So, yeah, yeah um, very detailed.
1: It's in there. And so that is you have, like, bookends, right? So you've got your... Narrative. So faith cometh by hearing, because certainly faith doesn't come by hearing. Describing maybe the chronology of the pyramid, but if you can corroborate the narratives that, by their very nature, uh, inspire faith, because when you, we hear that God said to Adam and Eve, "I'm going to be, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to rescue you." They would, they would, they'd cry and they'd moan and they'd belly ache and they'd throw themselves off a cliff and then they would, they would die and then the word of God would come and raise them up as a type of the resurrection and then, right. then the word of God would take the, they would take the blood from their sacrifice and they would sacrifice to God. The word of God would show up and he'd say, and we all know that who that is, right? In his pre-incarnate form, yes,
0: absolutely. And
1: he he would say, you know what? I didn't even tell you to do this, but you know what? I'm going to take this because I'm when I come in human form and in five and a half days my blood will be the perfect sacrifice and so you so you, I, I you know as a reader i'm moved right to with these stories right. but but trying to get it to the mass audience trying to get beyond this this bulwark of skepticism and doubt because of the brainwashing that we've gone through for so many hundreds of years now since the uh, the, the the negative side of the reformation so now we're treated like uh, heretics and we're treated like fringe you know elements, and so you've got the chronology of the pyramid with the five and a half days built in, and how they you can't argue with the the symbolism because what is it again the 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 keynote address of tales of forever is when God deigned to communicate, he d- doesn't just communicate in English or Hebrew, he communicates through mathematics and he communicates a, in a language of narrative dramas that transcend interpretation, so no matter what language you're speaking. These dramas of death and resurrection, the the dramas of mathematics of the five and a half days, these speak to the whole world, not just to Americans, not just to Protestants, right? It's a it's it. Somebody should have the sense to realize, you know, it's a universal message, and what and isn't that what God's been trying to get across to the to the house of Israel for how many centuries? Because they thought, oh, we're we're the chosen people, chosen for what? Chosen to be privileged, or chosen to be a vessel, chosen to be a light. Chosen, as Doug was saying about the the thing that the, the these uh, bureaucrats, uh, Jewish bureaucrats, and again, not Jewish people, but the bureaucrats, they wanted to to keep the knowledge of God's always using the 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 children of Abraham to bless the Gentiles as well as the Jewish people, because technically, the you know Abraham wasn't even a Jew, and and Judah wasn't even a Jew. Judah, the word Jew didn't come out even occur in history until after the Babylonian captivity. And a lot of people just assume we grow up another traditional uh, frame of reference that all the promises of chosenness go to the Jews. And but always built in was that they were going to eventually have this break out and through Christ uh, save the whole world. And if it's a whole world salvation program, then shouldn't we expect a universal message? And and we and we can demonstrate this in the five and a half day mathematical uh, you know set times prophecy and it being a dramatic. Narrative and these stories been being brought back to light. So faith cometh by hearing, whether it's English or whether it's mathematics.
2: Doug, wow. Okay, so (laughs) that was was a mouthful. So I'm trying to decide. Okay, so (laughs) where where do I jump in on that? Um, Gosh. Well, you know, I was I was thinking about I was while we were uh, while. Kent was talking, I was looking up about the Thracians. I'm going, Wow, zint has got these, you know, he's talking about the Tartars and he's talking about the Thracians and I gotta figure out where all this is coming from. But anyway, um I was kinda looking up that. It looks like that, that those were really the ancient uh the, the really the ancient Bulgarians, the Thracians right, yeah. were, mm-hmm. were the predecessors to the Greeks and to the Romans. Right. And so uh Herodotus mentions them in his histories. But yeah, you're dealing with you know, with a people that would would have emerged not long. I mean, that that would be some of the uh, you know of of Japheth's uh, offspring. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that moved, uh, you know, not too far from the Ark because they were sort right. of in Turkey and northern Greece. So uh, anyway, so that's, uh, you know, that that appears to be where they were coming from. But right. in terms of uh, of whether or not they had the prophecy, uh, I find that pretty intriguing, you know, that, that if they had the five and a half uh, millennium prophecy and uh, if, you know, I think I would love to see. I'd love to see links to those articles. I'd like to to learn about this guy before he gets beaten up again. Apparently, so. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'd, I'd be that's glad to I'll, share some information well, with him. That's what everybody. I love about
1: this show. Uh, I I learn from Zen. Zen learns from me. Now, Doug, we we got the
0: we got, <laughs> right.
1: we got everybody is spurring each other on to to greater heights of awareness. And uh, rather than having this conversation in a uh, in the dark in some room here, here we are with the technology of of radio and. And the internet and, you know, people are hopefully being uh, enlightened and blessed and intrigued by our conversation. And, and speaking of that, boys and girls, I really need to mention uh, before I run out of time, uh, this is the anniversary of D-Day and jo- and jo- um, uh, Zen's story about the, the kind of persecution that uh, people in other lands, they were trying to get this truth out. Here we are blessed on the day of the 75th anniversary of D-Day, where where men and women have fought for our freedom to have oh, this technology and to be able to survive what other people haven't survived and if those people in those other countries uh, obviously they're they're connected right so if they can find out that you know they're not alone with with this uh, this great mission of the the revival of this five and a half day because as we said the greek orthodox have always had this and it's time it's high time that we stop the the division where the Western nations think that they're the only, you know, bunch on the block that God has chosen, you know, and um, whether it was the, you know, the split of 500, what was it? 500 a- 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 AD, right. The, the bull of Constantinople mm-hmm. that, that excommunicated, you know, the so-called West excommunicated the East. And then a hundred thousand uh, a thousand years later, uh, then the, and then we supposedly got excommunicated as Protestants and the, and the, and the Eastern Orthodox Church has been holding on to the Book of Enoch and holding on. They actually celebrate uh, Pontius Pilate's birthday. He has a feast day, you know, because of this, the Book of uh, the Gospel of Nicodemus, which was called the Acts of Pontius Pilate. And they're looking around, going, "Well, what whatever happened to us? They, we, you know, who who excommunicated us? Right? So, the, so
2: <laughs> no, it's <laughs> and, you know, just the study of the of the systems of the church, mm-hmm. you know, and the various oh, like, creeds. Uh-huh. Uh, the Nicene Creed and then the Chalcedonian Creed and all that. You know, most most evangelicals, they, they're not creedal in terms of their history. And so I wrote an article for Prophecy in the News magazine where I talked about the Chalcedonian Creed, and you know, I was surrounded by Baptists, and they had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> and I said, "This was this was the creed that basically split the uh, many of the churches, you know, off from one another back in 450. You know, it was it happened about 50 miles up the road from Nicaea in Chalcedon, and uh, you know, the the church just you know, evangelicals by and large are." are pretty ignorant of church history. And certainly you get into this issue of the Septuagint and the chronology. Uh, you know, you say the Apocrypha and every one of the evangelicals, they sort of run for cover. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like right. a quick hide. I don't want to, that's heresy. I can't even think <laughs> about that. And, uh, you know, and, and we talk about the Book of Enoch and we talk about, you know, these these other lesser known. Uh, the pillar super- of Enoch. Yeah, the Pillar <laughs> of Enoch. Yeah, you know, all these things, it becomes very frightening for people that are essentially uh, have been, I would say, brainwashed, conditioned to uh, just pay attention to the King James Bible and nothing right, else. Right. And so, now I, you know, it's not like that anything's true. I mean, I happen to believe I'm a pretty orthodox Christian myself, but, um, you know, the, the fact is that we can learn a great deal um, from and, these and- other books.
1: Yeah, and Doug, please don't put me in that category. I am pure canonical. If anybody knows the canon, we have to know the canon like the back of our hand. If you think that we're espousing rejection of the canon and let's just go with the apocryphal books, you're crazier than the loon. I know, and I, right. I'm speaking that metaphor, you know, uh right. facetiously, because I know you're not. It's just, but right. that's that's the attitude. These people who are trying to throw us out, they're throwing the baby out of the bathwater to quote C.S. Lewis. They're trying to make a case that we're trying to corrupt the the canon, we're trying to dismiss the canon. Absolutely not. I I've spent like I say decades and that's the part of the book right right Doug and Jen I mean I the right. opening 120 pages is is synthesizing these books with the canon so if right. anybody can refute my knowledge of the can- canonical stories I'll I'll eat uh, the pages that I wrote so anybody that's trying to say that we're rejecting the canon it's 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 nonsense we're we're revering the canon but Absolutely. we're but but we're revering the god who inspired the canon and we're revering the God who, in the in the book of Hebrews says that Enoch walked and talked with God, and God took him for he had this this good report that he pleased God, and and he wrote a book. And there's a literary tradition, and, and he, we're resurrecting it. And the thing is, we're resurrecting it on D Day, seventy five years later. On the and we didn't engineer this. You you uh, uh, Zen, and your uh, lovely uh, you know daughter in law Joy, who I, I just love corresponding with. She invited us on the show, and she said, "Oh, by the way, uh, uh, June sixth and July fourth are our next two dates." I said, "Wait a second! I'm the, uh, wait a second! I'm the I'm the Perfect. guy I'm the set guy, wow. God, okay?" And I'm saying, "You mean we're gonna I'm gonna get to talk to Doug and Zen on the anniversary of D-Day, and then our next show will be anniversary of of a, the, the American Revolution, which wow. is, yeah. is who could who, how could anybody engineer this? So if this is not, if we're not talking about the God of Set Times keeping His promise." to to you know to allow it to be lost, you know he gave it the knowledge, he allowed it to be lost, and now, according to the set times, it's coming back on the stage of world history, and if anybody can appreciate these set times i don't i don't know i don't I don't know if you have a pulse or not or if, or, <laughs> or if you love God's word as much as you say you do, so I don't mean to be rude or anything, but back to you
0: amazing i uh guys, we got uh just three minutes remaining, and so if you would. Give out your website, contact information again, and uh, just quick final comment. We'll go to Doug first.
2: No, can't okay. to do there. Yeah, you can uh, You can find me. Uh, I publish uh, at least one long article every week on my website, which is faith-happens.com, or you can just search for Doug, all one word, .com. Um, I have a Facebook account. Uh, s douglas woodward you know facebook slash s s douglas woodward s as in Stephen, and you can find my books on a- amazon both uh, printed copies uh, you know print print paperback as well as kindle and uh, you, again you can just search for s douglas woodward on amazon and uh, and find me there and you can correspond with me uh, via doug at faith hyphen happens.com excellent kent Ah uh, well, yeah, I'm really
1: excited to say. Not only is our uh, is uh, is the is our uh, the book is available on a uh, Lost Stories channel. It's also, I can say, like Doug Su too, as well, available on Amazon.com. But I'm what I'm getting so excited and tongue tied about is I can I'm proud to, and happy to announce that my book is also available on Zen Garcia's uh, website.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, SacredWordPublishing.com. Yeah,
1: Sacred. I, how exciting is that to be also to be invited? to be part of the family of sacred uh, publishing sacred word publishing so my yes. book is there as well and i think we just got uh, first order joy uh, email me today and say Kent, let's get this order out i'm like okay i'm 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 kind of tied up right now but i'll get right back to you
0: <laughs> <laughs> awesome <laughs> so Good.
1: thank you for that right huh? that's awesome
0: yeah well i'm looking forward to you know um, our, our follow up on july 4th and i will definitely Send Doug you some information on the Thracian uh, chronicle stuff and some of the you know the ancient Book of Atamanua. and hey I, I appreciate you guys coming on and our being able to elaborate on this uh, lost tradition. Can't uh, you want a final comment real quick?
2: We got one well, minute
1: yeah okay in a minute uh doug is that even possible You, i've only known you for a short time
2: <laughs> well it and, took you uh, 600 pages to write a book i don't know Can exactly you yeah, right? it? you're
1: the guy that wrote part one at 450 so don't tell <laughs> that's me true. Yeah, I, that's true I'm,
2: yeah i'm just playing your chain
1: calls the kettle black once again but, <laughs> no i just want to say again is that uh, i do believe that that the that the god of the set times is right on time he's right on schedule and that's a God that you can trust. You can you can hang your head on Him if you're you know if you're a sinner, you're a saint. And technically, God came to rescue uh, sinners. So um, if you if you ever doubted God's uh, faithfulness, how you know in the light of Him keeping this promise after five and a half days, right on schedule, and this truth being revived, I, I think it's uh, a, an amazing time to learn about this and just marvel at God's faithfulness.
0: God bless everybody. We appreciate you. Thanks, Doug. Thank yeah, Thank you. Thank you. I'll talk to you guys again soon. Be blessed, right. everyone. Thanks, guys. Shalom.